Welcome to episode 6 of the Women's Wisdom, Our Journey in Emergency Medicine, a production of the Women in Emergency Medicine section of the American Academy of Emergency Medicine. AAEM is a nonprofit professional association of over 8,000 emergency physicians dedicated to board certification and democratic group practice. In this episode, Dr. Faith Quenzer interviews Dr. Julie Beef on her journey through emergency medicine. Hello, good morning. This is Dr. Faith Quenzer, PGY4 at a Desert Regional Medical Center, and uh, we're now doing a podcast for uh, women in EM. Right here with me is Dr. Julie Veith, who is uh, working at a rural community hospital in upstate New York, and the hospital's called Canton Potsdam Hospital. She's been there for four years. Prior life, she was heavily involved in Georgetown Washington Hospital as resident educator and stimulation and heavily involved in their didactics. So thank you, Julie, for uh, meeting us today. And I just am very interested in your route to uh, emergency medicine. So tell me more about that. Hi, Faith. Thanks for having me. So I started out back in my (coughs) undergraduate life going to Queen's University in Canada. And uh, while I was there, I was doing the pre-medical school thing. And I realized that at that time, I was in competition with a lot of people and it was getting a little bit cutthroat, bad dynamics. And so after two years, I thought, this isn't for me. Uh, So I left Queen's. I actually moved back home, went to a small school in upstate New York. My dad was a professor there. I got free tuition. What's not to like? <laughs> and uh, after a year, I graduated with a science degree but in you know biology, but I still didn't know, really, what am I going to do with this? During that year, I had joined just our local volunteer EMS service. So I got my EMT and then my advanced EMT, and I was really enjoying the pre-hospital environment. And growing up, my mom is a nurse, and so I had been exposed a little bit to that life. And so we talked about maybe I'll go to nursing school, become a nurse practitioner. And so I ended up, right after my first undergraduate degree, going to Syracuse University and doing their second degree, Bachelor of Science in Nursing, where I got a nursing degree, and then I became a nurse. But Ironically, during my last year of nursing school, I met one of my mentors, Dr. Terry Fairbanks, who is now at MedStar Washington Hospital Center and does a lot out in the world of patient safety and electronic medical records and et cetera. And he pulled me aside and he said, no, you need to go to medical school. (laughs) And so I thought, okay, well, let me rethink this plan. And I started applying to medical school, but in undergrad, I, I didn't have great chemistry grades. Um, they were okay, but I applied to medical school in the United States the first time, and I didn't get in anywhere. And I thought, that's okay. I've got my nursing degree. I'm going to work as a nurse. And then due to some family stuff that was going on, my family's actually originally from England, and I thought about moving back to England for the time and with my mom and sister. So I ended up applying to medical school in England and got in. And I went there for five years. And while I was in England, I continued working as a nurse in the United States a little bit. My now husband uh, was boyfriend at the time, and I did this long-distance thing, and I would come home and work as a nurse and do a little bit of pre-hospital work. So I always had that emergency medicine in the back of my mind, but I wasn't sure that I wanted to anchor myself on that, you know, and expose myself to all the other specialties. So 
thought about going into OBGYN. But if I did that, I wanted to do maternal fetal medicine, and I really didn't want to do seven years of training. <laughs> and so I went back to emergency medicine, and I was really lucky to be able to do an away rotation for emergency medicine at Georgetown as an international medical student, which I don't know that that happens very easily anymore due to the, all the med mal issues and insurance issues. So I'm very fortunate to have been able to do that. And that's where I ended up matching, and I am so grateful to everybody that helped me along the way and mentorship and guidance, and I wouldn't be here today without you know, getting that emergency medicine rotation. So you spoke about some barriers along the way that sound very significant. Tell me a little bit more about perhaps some bias you might have experienced as a female physician Yeah, I feel extremely fortunate in that while I was a medical student, I somehow did not experience a ton of bias. And I don't know if that was because in England, I was a little bit more mature than other students, and they literally called us the mature students. So in the UK, you go to medical school when you are 18 or 19. And I entered when I was in my 20s, you know, having done all these other degrees. And so I don't know if I was just more aware of it or looking out for it or if I was maybe perhaps just blind to it at that time. I can't say for certain that I really had any, you know, bias against me as a female in that situation. And in fact, I was really lucky to match into a residency program that was all women. There were eight of us, all females, and in fact, the year after, there were seven women and one one sole male. So... I think that actually helped because we just all really bonded together and we're still in touch today and it was a great group of women and we're all doing different things now. I feel really lucky to have been in that type of group. That sounds great to have that amount of support in your life. Yeah. You think that amount of support um, helped you overcome some of the things that um, were barriers in the past? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the one barrier I did have, which was self-imposed, was just being an international medical graduate. And, you know, we know that obviously domestic students take priority. And that was a barrier that I I did overcome. But I I needed help doing that. Um, And I had help from Dr. Fairbanks. Dr. Sandy Schneider also helped. And, you know, for that, I am incredibly grateful because I would not be here today. I am 100% certain that if I had to match into emergency medicine today as an IMG, I I wouldn't be able to do it. Um, It's just, you know, so competitive now. That's great to hear about the the mentors in your life. Any mentors that you feel, for example, some male mentors that you were great proponents of your career overall? You mentioned one. Was there any others that you were thinking of, too? So, yeah, Terry was a huge help and support. And throughout my residency, my um, who became program director, Dr. John Davis, was also mm. incredibly helpful. And I still reach out to him at times and say, hey, what do you think about this? You know, should I do this? I'm, I'm not in academic medicine anymore at a rural community site. But when I have, you know, a little academic project on the side or I'm not quite sure, I, I reach out to him and he's always been very helpful, kind of directing me in that way. You also mentioned uh, female mentors, too, along the way. So who are those mentors that you felt were really significant in helping you formulate your career? There were and are a lot. Uh, I think I have mentors in kind of different areas of my life. Certainly in residency, uh, I guess you can't really call them mentors, but just having that group of all-female residents 
was was fantastic. And in my last year, I was chief resident with two other phenomenal women. And that relationship kind of, you know, we were we were just each other's team support. In residency, one of my mentors was Dr. Corey Hudson, who spoke here at AAM. She's still at, at Georgetown and does sports med now and emergency medicine. But at the time, she was doing a lot of EMS. And I was interested in EMS at that time. So we definitely had a kind of mentor-mentee relationship and, and have become friends as well. And over the last few years, I'll say it's been harder to find mentors in the community role site. I'm one of only three women physicians in my emergency department. But it, when I started, I was one of only two. And and so that was a little bit of a challenge. Uh, I was fortunate and enough to have Dr. Joelle Borhart actually take me under her wing a little bit last year. And Joelle and I overlapped in residency and she got me, you know, more involved with AEM and back into the academic realm. And through there, I also met Dr. Evie Marcolini and we actually live not far from each other. And so she's become a great friend and mentor too. Oh, that's wonderful to hear. What do you think is the trajectory for your career at this point? Hard to say. I moved into the rural community setting really as a temporary position. We were uprooting, leaving D.C. due to my husband's job, and Mm. I was moving home uh, just to work in my hometown. And the plan was for me to be there for six months and then move to Burlington and maybe establish more academic roots there. And then I was pregnant with our second child, and I thought, well, I can't really find a new job now and then go out on maternity leave in a few months. And maybe I could have, and I I didn't even try. But instead, I said, well, I'll just start commuting. And so I actually commute two hours and 45 minutes to work, and I work two 12-hour shifts, you know, either two days or two nights. I stay at my mom's house in my old bedroom that I grew up in, and I work, and then I go back back home to to my family. And then I try to keep my hand in some academic stuff on the side. It's four years later. I'm still commuting. Um, there's something to be said for being in that com- community rural environment, and I've grown to really love it, and I'm just not quite ready to fully jump back into academics, but I do hope that one day that's probably the tra- trajectory that I'll take. Perfect. Tell me a little bit more about your experiences in this uh, rural community hospital. You mentioned that there was some, in, in prior conversations, you mentioned that there were some instances where uh, you had issues with some, some patients during the time that you were serving there, correct? Yes. I mean, the challenges in a rural setting are that obviously often, I think in many rural settings, you're single coverage. Um, I do have nurse practitioners and PAs that I work with, but you're the often the only physician on staff at the time. And, you know, you are you can be isolated depending on where you're working. And your patient population really varies. I mean, I don't find that it's very different from that urban setting, apart from that we don't get a lot of penetrating trauma or, you know, a ton of trauma period. But the patients still, you know, there's still a lot of drug use. There's still a lot of alcohol use. There's still disenfranchised patients. And I I recently had an experience where I was very nearly assaulted by a patient who came four inches from my face with his fist which was the closest I've ever come to actually being assaulted in the emergency department. And, you know, the challenge was that the staff you have available to you, you might not have a lot of them. Mm-hmm. At the time, there were a ton of women in the department, I think one pregnant woman. And so you're relying on some of your local resources to help you out with that. And I know that my story is not unique. I know that, especially in the nursing 
field. Our nurses are subject to workplace violence all the time. I worked in inner city DC. I remember seeing tons of patients on PCP, but this was the first time I was literally personally attacked. And it shook me and it still shakes me. It was just a few months ago. And I think it's an issue that we really need to talk about more and bring to the forefront. Yeah, and I agree, too. I mean, I think this is something that we don't talk about often. You know, these stories are are valuable so that we feel like there's no isolation there. And so we should definitely, in the future, talk about it a little bit more and see if there's any, uh, even any research into it, too. Yeah, and so I've started doing that. I mean, right, it only takes one bad event to trigger you to take action. So I'm still early in that journey, but, you know, using some resources that are out there and working with my hospital to, to help improve things on that front. I think we also need to remember that if this was somebody in a bank in a store, on the street, we would never accept that behavior. And we don't need to accept that behavior either in our, our emergency departments. We need to feel like we work in a safe environment. Yeah, and I completely agree. So in that note, where do you think is the trajectory for us females in emergency medicine? Where do you think we're going? And what makes you hopeful about that? What makes me hopeful is seeing more and more women become involved in academic roles and in leadership, we, we are so not there yet. I think there's lots of new research coming out that says women are not getting promoted. I mean, regardless of the whole pay, gender pay discrepancy, we're just not there. We're not getting the respect that we always deserve. We're not getting even considered for leadership roles, despite being, you know, having the, the credentials to do that. So I think we need to band together and use our mentorship, make our voices loud, and, and keep working. There's, there's forward momentum. It's definitely here and present, and I, I'm really excited about what the next five years will bring. Is there anything else that you might want to add? I think just to add that, you know, I think a lot of conferences focus on the academic speaker, and I've been so fortunate to have Dr. Borhart and Dr. Marcolini help me out over the last couple of years and, and get me more involved, but community and rural sites do have, you know, great practitioners and physicians and speakers and just keeping our ear out for those people. I, I really miss academics. And I, like I said, I'm not ready to jump back in, but I think finding those, those people that are willing is, is also really important to bring our voices to the table. I absolutely agree. And I just thank you so much for your time, Dr. Veith, and we hope to hear from you some more next year too. All right. Thanks. Thanks for having me. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast from the American Academy of Emergency Medicine. For more information about AAEM, visit our website at www.aaem.org. Find all episodes of this podcast and our other podcast series on the AAEM website under resources and then publications. Join us again next episode for a new journey through emergency medicine.